Hey guys, this is Nathan Ewing. Uh, we had some technical difficulties today at church, and so I thought I would just go ahead and kind of re-record this. Uh, that way I could kind of put it up online for those of you that were following along. But just to kind of jump right into it, we're going to get past some of the technical difficulties, uh, which is kind of one of those mornings. But last week, we jumped into the book of Ruth, and we did the introduction, uh, and we were talking about how this book takes place uh, during the period of the judges. God had put judges in different cities across Israel, and if you needed something, if you had a dispute or if you needed some justice, you would go there um, and get help. And then we know that God would raise up uh, specific mighty judges to help deliver his people from the surrounding countries, from their enemies. Uh, but it was a real troublesome time because people basically just did what was right in their own eyes. And that's a big problem because what I think is right and what you think is right uh, could be very different things. So um, the people did not have much direction. Uh, they were in desperate need of leadership uh, and they were headed towards a king. They really needed one. And that's really what this book is all about. It's about God's plan to send a deliverer. Uh, now, they had a physical king that came uh, through David, right? Ruth had uh, David's grandfather, and so he came along, but then ultimately our Savior Jesus Christ came. So that is kind of God's plan that's being foreshadowed here in Ruth. Uh, but this... This story had a pretty sad start. Uh, we have this Hebrew family that's living in Bethlehem, uh, in the house of bread. Uh, they're amongst God's people, and uh, Bethlehem is often hyphenated Bethlehem Judah. Uh, it was in the, the land of Judah, and Judah, one of Jacob's sons, actually means praise. So they were living in the land of praise, but things were about to get dark because a famine had afflicted the house of, ble the house of bread. Uh, God said, he said, if you get involved with these countries uh, around you and you start worshiping their gods, I'm going to afflict the land. And he did. And there was a um, a real physical famine that was happening. Um, the father, Elimelech, uh, his name meant God is my king. And when they wandered into Moab, uh, we learned last week that God called Moab his wash basin. Um, but basically, that's a nice term for saying that it was his toilet bowl. And so he took his family into the toilet bowl and Elimelech dies. And when we make pursuit of the world, we make that our destination. Uh, God always ceases to be king in our lives because we take him off the throne and we put ourselves there. Um, and so when we go into the world and we make that our aim, God ceases to be our king. So he dies and then his sons also die and leaves behind his wife, Naomi, their mom, and then also their two wives. And they're in a bad spot. I mean, there wasn't any insurance to cash in on. There wasn't any nest egg and they were in a really bad spot. So they are getting ready to go back to Bethlehem. Now, I'm sure they didn't mean to be in Moab for 10 years. They got stuck. They got stuck in Moab for 10 years. Uh, I'm sure Elimelech's plan was to go there and uh, just to wait out the family. They were going to, you know, try to do for themselves, try to provide for themselves, but they end up getting stuck there in the world. In Hebrews 13, 14, it says that here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. There is no place that offers provision or protection in this world that's ever going to be home for the believer, right? Um, nothing in this world is going to satisfy. John 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, listen, you are in this world, but you're not of this world. And Naomi, 
just like the prodigal, uh, the prodigal came to his senses when he was in the foreign land and he was standing in the pig pen and he came to his senses. He said, I'm not supposed to be here. I need to head back home. And Naomi too, when she's in Moab, she says, I need to go back home. I need to get back in the house of bread. And she decides to go back. Uh, there may be a really good reason why uh, you're in a bad spot, why you might be in the land of Moab. Maybe you got drugged there. I mean, it wasn't Naomi's choice. Uh, her husband had taken them there. But uh, once she came to her senses, once we realize where we are, we need to make the decision to get out of there, to get back to God's people, get back to God's house. So we'll just kind of read through this together. It's a lot of scripture, um, but there really wasn't a good place to cut it off. So uh, I'll just read it here. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law and returned to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear you sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I think it's interesting that Ruth starts to hear these reports of what God's doing in Judah after she's already lost everything. I mean, she's there. Her husband has died. Her son has died. She's in a really bad spot. And now her ears are open. She starts to hear what God's doing. Um, I had mentioned last week that the prophet Amos uh, was sent to the people of Israel to prophesy to them. And while this is a physical famine, about 300 years later, Amos comes on the scene and the people of Israel are experiencing a time of great prosperity. Um, I mean, they're doing really well. And he goes up there to talk to them and say, listen, in your prosperity, you guys have walked away from God. You have forgotten him. Uh, you are oppressing the poor and you're just filling up your own houses. You guys are doing really well. Uh, you've become self-sufficient, but you've forgotten about God. And one of the jobs of a prophet is to comfort the afflicted, but also to afflict the comfortable. And Amos had gone up there to afflict the comfortable. And sometimes when we become self-sufficient, um, the temptation is to start to lose our hearing and lose um, lose control of God's voice and not hearing the things that he's trying to say to us. 
but not so when we're experiencing pain. Uh, when we're experiencing pain, when we're experiencing loss, uh, we tend to tune in pretty well. C.S. Lewis, uh, the great writer, wrote a book called The Problem with Pain. He knew pain very well. He was associated with it. And he wrote that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Uh, that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So, um, Naomi has been roused. She is now hearing what's going on in Judah, that God has visited his people, um, that God has blessed them. He blessed the ones that stayed. And that's always the way it is. The people who stay, the ones that are faithful, the ones that wait on the Lord, get blessed. Um, Isaiah 40, 31 tells us that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If we place ourselves under the spout where the blessings come out, uh, then we're going to get it eventually. We don't know when it's going to come, but um, if we place ourselves there, it's going to happen. But if you're not there, then you're never going to get it. Uh, Matthew 24, Jesus said, those who endure to the end will be saved. We're supposed to wait on the Lord. We're supposed to endure. We're supposed to occupy until he comes back. Um, so the natural next question is, where is the spout? Like, if I'm supposed to put myself under the spout where the blessings come out, I want to know where the spout is. Um, in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, we need to go to Samaria. And the disciples are kind of like freaking out because if you were a good Jew, you didn't go through Samaria. You went all the way around because the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. They hated each other. But Jesus said, no, I'm going through Samaria because there's somebody that I need to talk to. And he ends up at Jacob's well in the middle of the day. It's super hot. And along comes a woman to the well in the middle of the day, which is really strange because the women of that day, they would come early in the morning or they would come late at night in the cool of the day. They wouldn't come in the middle. But this lady came in the middle of the day because she couldn't be seen with these other women, uh, these other women, because she was a pretty bad sinner. And Jesus starts talking to her. He says, hey, while you're here, why don't you give me a drink? And she says, you know, who are you, a Jew talking to a Samaritan woman? And Jesus says, if you knew who I was uh, and who was talking to you, you would be asking me for a drink. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, you don't even have anything to draw with. And this well is deep. And uh, Jesus says, listen, the water that I give will well up inside a person come gushing out. And she's got to be pretty tired of going back to this well. So she says, sir, give me this living water. And where is it? And God's, or Jesus says, I am the living water, right? So he is telling her he is the spout. So if we want to put ourselves under the spout where the blessings come out, uh, then we need to be close to Jesus. We need to be in his word. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, the book of Ruth is placed with the prophets. Uh, it's a prophetic book because God is giving us a sneak peek of what he is doing. He's showing us his plan of salvation. He's going to be sending a savior. The book of Ruth really is a bridge between this time of the judges and the time of the kings. So it fits right in between there as we see what's going to happen. Back to verse 8. Uh, it says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. Apparently, as they headed out at some point, Naomi thought, I really don't want these guys going with me. Now, that's a really strange thing because as Christians, why would we want to send someone back to the world? Uh, 
uh, we have to be really careful because even in our grief, when things have happened to us, um, we don't need to push people back into the world. We need to bring them with us. But Naomi here starts to push them away. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, why in the world did she do that? And a couple things came to mind. Obviously, Naomi is grieving. I mean, she is hurting. Uh, she's grieving the loss of her husband. She's grieving the losses of her sons and the huge mistake it was to leave Bethlehem. Um, but what I think is it's one thing to make your own mistakes, um, because if I do something stupid, uh, I can bear the brunt of those consequences. But if I do something that hurts other people, that's really hard to deal with. Uh, a long time ago, Alicia and I were given this trip to Jamaica uh, a couple days down there. And if you've ever been there, there's this place called Rick's Cafe. And there are all these cliffs and they have these professional cliff divers that do all kinds of tricks. Um, but there's also some platforms where stupid people <laughs> uh, can jump off. And I was one of those. I told Alicia, we need to go jump off of these things. And my idea, and I go and I jump off this and I land, you know, go in the water, freak out, uh, come back up, encourage Alicia that she needs to go. She jumps off, totally different situation. She kind of went in, instead of going in straight, she kind of landed in a seated position. Uh, not, I know, not pretty. Uh, she actually had some bruising and things like that. I felt terrible for trying to encourage her to do that. Naomi was part of something that was pretty dumb. I mean, she got drug along, but she was part of it. And now these daughter-in-laws of hers were paying the price. Um, I don't know about you, but if I was going back there, I wouldn't necessarily want a reminder every single day of the mistakes that I had made. Um, as she's saying, listen, I can't take care of you. I don't want you coming with me. Second thing I thought about is that the Moabites and the Jews were enemies. I mean, they hated each other, just like the Samaritans. Um, and you know, going back would have been a huge problem to bring these Moabite women with her. Um, a little bit of background. In Deuteronomy 23, we see this, um, we see this play out on the Ammonites and the Moabites, who we talked about last week, started in a cave with Lot, Abraham's nephew, and they had a really bad beginning. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 23. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loved you. So you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days of your life forever. Um, but what was happening is Elimelech had led his family there seeking his own prosperity um, because of the prosperity was there. So it was a pretty bad situation. No Moabite could enter the assembly of the Lord. I think bringing these Moabite daughters back to Bethlehem not only would have been a bad reminder for Naomi, uh, it also would have been a bit of a scarlet letter to all the people that lived there. I mean, Bethlehem wasn't a huge place. Um, you know, she would have been walking around and people have said, you know, there goes Naomi and her two Moabite daughters, um, serves her right. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, nobody wants to have people whispering your, behind your back. Um, and I think the embarrassment of the situation and how that was going to play out might have been one of the reasons why she was pushing them away as well. Uh, I knew a guy who owned a tattoo shop and he had a, a picture there in his little area where he worked. And it said, sever all ties. 
and he had come from a, a rough background to put it mildly and uh, the picture itself was pretty graphic but um, basically his old life what he was trying to remind himself I can't go back to that destructive lifestyle that had me in bondage that led to death actually you know really um, and I, I wonder if Naomi here has that same mindset where not only does she not want to bring them back but she wants to sever all ties with Moab Maybe that was something she was thinking. The third thing could be that she's just testing them. You know, she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders. She's grieving and she's saying, listen, this grief that I have has changed me and it's changed the way that I look at the world and I don't need one more thing to bring me down. You know, like I need support. I don't need a problem. Um, sounds kind of harsh, but when you're in survival mode, the way that Naomi was right here, you tend to say and do some things that are a bit harsh. Um, she made it difficult to follow her and Jesus did that. He made it difficult at times for people to follow him. Um, in Luke 9, 57, uh, it says that they were going along the road. Somebody said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head to another. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another, he said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Maybe. Maybe Naomi was looking to see if there was any devotion in these women. And that's what we're about to find out. Um, back to Ruth in verse 10. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi, uh, the word she uses here for her daughter, it's not daughter-in-law, it's like actual daughters. It's a real term of endearment. Uh, we joke sometimes about daughters and mothers-in-law uh, and the tension that can happen there between the two, but that is absolutely not the case here. They are pretty intertwined. There's a lot of um, emotion here. Um, Naomi says something kind of strange here about, you know, I'm too old to have kids and would you wait around even if I could have one? And what she's talking about here was this concept um, in that culture, the Hebrew culture, called a Leverite marriage. And what that said is back in Deuteronomy 25, there was a decree that if a man died, a married man died, and he didn't have a son, didn't have an heir, and he had an unmarried brother, it was that unmarried brother's duty to marry his sister-in-law and to raise up a son for her so that his name wouldn't die out. That was something that he was bound to do. And in Mark 12, which is a great chapter. It's the last time that the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to test Jesus. Um, and these are the two religious elites of the day. We hear a lot about the Pharisees. We hear about Jesus tangling with them quite a bit, but we don't really hear much about the Sadducees. And uh, this was a grumpy group of people. You know, they uh, were students of the scriptures, but they didn't believe in anything spiritual. They didn't believe in angels. Uh, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. And if you have no hope of the resurrection, I could see how you would be, you know, pretty sad 
This is why they were called the sad juices. That's a pretty bad one. <laughs> I know. I got some groans on that one this morning, but they were the Sadducees. And they come to Jesus and they say this to him. Uh, Mark 12, verse 18. It says, the Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection. And they asked him questions saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leave no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and then he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, left no offspring. And the third likewise. And all seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection. When they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven all had her as a wife. Um, I don't know about you, but about brother number three, I would have gotten a little suspicious. Uh, but Jesus has this real um, serious retort to them. He says, you guys know neither the scriptures or the power of God, because when we get to heaven, we're all going to be like the angels. And that's a pretty serious slam that he has for these people that have devoted their lives to studying the scriptures. Uh, but Naomi's telling them basically, said, listen, I'm not going to have any more boys. I can't raise anyone up um, to produce heirs for you. So you're going to have to go back home and find new husbands. And we have we have three very different responses here in the middle of their grief. Uh, Naomi, first of all, uh, has become a very bitter person. Um, remember, her name means pleasant. That's what Naomi means. But that doesn't describe her anymore. In fact, when she goes back, as we're going to hear next week, people say, is this Naomi that's come back? And she says, no, don't call me that. Um, I'm no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Um, she was mad at God. Uh, she says, God's hand has gone out against me. Um, but we know that that's not true. God wasn't punishing Naomi. Now, his hand may have come off of her when they went into Moab, out from underneath his protection, but his hand wasn't against her. It may feel that way sometimes when things happen in life and uh, either things happen to us or they don't happen for us. And we feel like God is punishing us like he's out to get us. But that's not who God is. He's a good father. And Naomi is interpreting her circumstances here as God being mad at her, being angry with her. And out of her grief, she is misrepresenting who God is. She's not speaking about him accurately. He's not out to get her. He's trying to get her back to the place of praise. In Genesis 42, we see an elderly Jacob who is also doing some grieving. You know, he's already lost his son, Joseph, uh, the kid with the Technicolor dream coat. And his boys are getting ready to head down to Egypt because there's another famine that's going on in the land. And they head down to Egypt and Egypt in the Bible is always a symbol of the world. But his boys head down there and they run into Joseph, who's leading uh, Egypt at that point. And Joseph recognizes them, but of course they don't recognize him. And he starts to say that they're spies. And they start to freak out. They're trying to convince him that they're not spies. And in so doing, they spill the beans about their little brother, Benjamin. And Joseph's like, what? Like, I have a brother? And he didn't say that, of course, but he takes Simeon, his brother, and he says, listen, if you guys are telling the truth, you need to bring your little brother back here and then I'll believe you. But until then, I'm keeping your brother Simeon here. And they go back and this is what happens. Genesis 42, verse 35 says, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father said to them, 
You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this is coming against me. Literally, all these things are working against me. Jacob thought all these things were happening to him and that, you know, God's hand was against him. When in reality, what God was doing was providing for their deliverance, for their salvation, because he had set up Joseph ahead of time. And that's what's happening with Naomi here too. She feels like God is against her when in reality, he has planned ahead of time, a deliverer, a redeemer in Boaz, which we're going to find out. In Psalms 51, 17, David writes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And Naomi's broken, that's for sure, but she's not contrite. Instead, she's become very bitter. Uh, Moab had made her bitter. And as Christians, certainly we're not supposed to be bitter people. Uh, we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. Uh, but the world should leave a bitter taste in our mouth uh, because it is not our home. This is not where we're going to find satisfaction. Um, it is just preparing our appetite for heaven, for eternity, right? Um, that's where we're going to be satisfied. All right, back to Ruth 1. This is verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices again and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Naomi grieves and now Orpah leaves. Uh, Orpah kisses Naomi and then leaves. When you and I, as Christians, go through difficult times, uh, people are watching. Uh, they're looking at us to see how we're going to respond. Are we going to walk this thing out, uh, this thing we say we believe, or are we going to turn and go back to our old life? Um, I can't help but wonder if it was partly Naomi's bitterness uh, that convinced Orpah to go back home. I mean, she may have initially wanted to go with her, but maybe she started to think, you know, do I really want to live with this woman who is so bitter? Um, and if we have any bitterness inside of us, especially as Jesus followers, man, we got to release that into his hands. His hand isn't against you. His hand was put on the cross for you uh, because he loves you. Uh, God is not punishing you, says he disciplines those he loves. He corrects them, uh, but he's not punishing you. Uh, poor Orpah, she kisses Naomi and heads back to her old life. And when some people face adversity, when they face difficulty, uh, they have a decision to make. And the temptation is to run back to the old life, to go back to things that are familiar, uh, things that we feel like will bring us a level of comfort. But in reality, all it's doing is driving us further away from the one who can actually heal us. Both of these women were in the family, um, both in the family, but I think they were looking at two separate things. I think Orpah may have had her eyes on Naomi while Ruth may have had her eyes on Naomi's God. Because when we fix our eyes on people, we're always going to be disappointed. We're also going to be disillusioned if we put our hope and our trust in people. In Hebrews 12, uh, it tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Philippians 1 says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's going to do it. Uh, there are a lot of people in our culture today who kiss but don't cling. Um, the passage that's coming up is used a lot in wedding ceremonies because it speaks to the commitment 
and the devotion that Ruth had to Naomi and to her God. Um, a lot of people get caught up in emotion, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of devotion, if that makes sense. Uh, there's a lot of emotion right here on the road as they are lifting up their voices and weeping, but um, there's no devotion in Orpah. There's just some emotion. So she heads back. Um, and as Christians, we have to kind of ask ourselves, are we those that are walking through the door and kissing Jesus with our worship and then walking out the door and going back to our old life? Uh, do we have devotion to go with it once we walk out those doors? Because it's more than just worship. Uh, it's about a walk. And Orpah starts out, but then she turns away. Ruth keeps on going. She clings to Naomi. Bible has a few things to say about being clingy. Uh, I'll just read them real fast. Joshua 22, 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that the, of Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cling to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 30, 20. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and cling to him, for he is your life and your length of days. Isaiah 14, 1. This is exactly what's happening here to Ruth. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob, and he will again choose Israel, and will set them up in their own land, and sojourners will cling to them, and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Orpah leaves, but Ruth cleaves. Uh, that word cleave, we don't use it uh, in our day and age. It's used a lot in the King James Bible. But it's one of those rare words because it has two opposite meanings, not just different meanings, but completely opposite. Um, on the one sense, to cleave means to split in two, you know, like a meat cleaver. You are splitting apart a hunk of meat. Uh, Bible talks about some animals with cloven hooves, which are split hooves. Um, so to split, to separate. And then it also means to join inseparably. Like a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They shall be um, inseparable. And so it's kind of strange. But, you know, when we meet difficulties and trials in life, we have two options. We can either leave, we can split the scene, uh, or we can cleave. We can push in um, and grow even closer to the Lord. Um, you know, we don't know why her husband and her son died. We don't know how they died. Uh, but the consequences that happen when we find ourselves in the world, we find ourselves in the Moabs, um, it should lead us back to Jesus. It should make us cleave. It shouldn't make us leave. Um, Jesus already took the punishment for our sins, gang. Um, we couldn't be punished enough for our sin for our, you know, separation from him. But the good news is, is that he took the punishment. He took um, everything that was meant for us and we're forgiven. That's the good news. Um, all right, back to Ruth 1, verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Ruth has the opposite response here. She says, don't make me leave you. I've experienced Moab. I know what there is there. And it's nothing compared to what 
um, God has to offer, even the worst that he could dish out. Uh, even though Naomi was being a terrible witness, um, Ruth at some point, to some degree, had experienced the goodness of God, um, despite the bitter example that she was seeing. Um, it was better than anything that she had seen in Moab. There's an interesting progression here that I wanted to walk through. The first is that she travels with her. Um, where you go, I will go. Um, here's where the walk comes in. Uh, she had counted the cost. She had already made up her mind ahead of time. That's important because if we're caught up in the emotion of the moment, uh, we can make the wrong decision. Uh, but if we make up our minds ahead of time, if we've counted the cost, if we have gone all in, so to speak, we're going to make the right decision. We're going to be devoted. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Second, she lives with her. She says, where you lodge, I will lodge. Some people may like some of the things that Jesus has to say. They may have thought he was a pretty good guy, but they aren't willing to leave everything, to leave their old life um, and just be dedicated to him, to live where he lives. Uh, Jesus, again, I said, didn't make it easy for people to follow him. Uh, he wanted people to count the cost. He wanted them to be serious and not make a decision based on emotions. Um, Matthew 13, Jesus is telling his disciples about the parable of the sowers, uh, the sower and the seeds, right? Or the parable of the soils, because you've got all these different kinds of soils that the seed lands on. And in Matthew 13, verse 5, it says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when they sun rose, uh, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Immediately they sprang up. I mean, there's lots of emotion. Whoever um, received this word was excited about it. There was a lot of emotion. But when the heat got turned up, when the trials of life came, uh, they withered. They couldn't make it uh, because it was all emotion. It says they had no root. They had a surface level familiarity with Jesus, but they had no connection, really. They had no relationship. Next, he, she twists interest with her. Your people will be my people. Interesting because Ruth is really changing her identity here. She said, I don't see myself as a Moabite anymore. I see myself as a Jew. Um, this is interesting because people can be really difficult. I mean, it's one thing to be devoted to Jesus, but can we be devoted to the body of Christ? Can we serve and love one another? Um, that really takes it to another level. Once you are a follower of Jesus, um, you are also in his family, which means you have to take all people, uh, poor, despised, persecuted, um, the extra grace required, you know, folks that may be difficult. It says that we are living stones. Uh, which means that we are placed together in a spiritual house and we are rubbing up against one another, which can be uncomfortable at times. Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats at the final judgment. And uh, he's saying, in as much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. As much as you cared for those in the body, you did it unto me. And we did Galatians uh, last, our last book was Galatians and in Galatians 6, it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of faith. We need to be caring 
for the body. And that's exactly what Ruth is saying here. Your people are going to be my people. I'll take them, the good, bad, and the ugly. Next, she takes on her religion. She says, your God will be my God. Why did Ruth stay? I mean, it wasn't because Naomi was being such a great witness, but it was because of Naomi's great God. Uh, we need this kind of stubborn devotion to the Lord and to the scriptures. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Uh, not taste religion, not taste church or pastors or teachers, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, we need some radicals for Jesus. Don't be afraid to be the Jesus person, whether that's in your workplace, um, in your home, wherever you are. Uh, Devin, my son, we were talking the other night at length. Uh, he's been up at William Jewell College for about eight months, and he's had a real time trying to find other Christians on campus. And he's run into a few um, that maybe have an affection for Jesus, but don't have any devotions. Went to a Bible study and they didn't even open up the Bible. So he's a little bit frustrated. Um, some people may have an affection for Jesus, um, but not a real devotion, not a real walk. Uh, next, she gladly says she will die with her. She says, where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. She's saying, I'm going with you to the end, mom. Um, I'm not, I don't even want my body to be taken back to Moab after I die. There is nothing for me now in this life, and there's nothing there for me in the next life. In fact, I want my bones to be right next to yours. That's how close I want to be to you. Um, may the Lord do so to me and more, if anything, but death separates us. This was an ancient oath that they would use. Basically, may I drop dead if I don't keep my end of the bargain. Uh, Matthew 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. Uh, that was a really tough thing for people to hear, pick up this instrument of death. But are we willing to be those that will pick up our cross, crucify our flesh and say, Jesus, I will die where you died and I will stick cl so close to you Um you know, that I'll go wherever you go. It doesn't matter what comes my way, but I'm willing to go with you all the way to the end, even if it means death. Um, only guess what? Uh, the good news is not even death can separate us from him. Once we start to, to follow him and we're devoted to him, death can't even separate us from our king. That's how much he loves us. Uh, there was a guy, Raymond Brown, he was writing about David and about his mighty men, this ragtag group of guys that started to gather around him when he was running from King Saul. And it says this, uh, their duty at any moment was to obey the king's instructions and to trust his wisdom. It meant that they were going into a life of hardship, insecurity, privation, suffering, and possibly even death. But they would be with the king and that was enough. I think that's pretty cool. They would be with the king and that was enough. If Jesus never does another thing for us as long as we live, guys, uh, it's enough because he has made a way, he has prepared a way for us to be with him and to live with him forever. Um, we need to be clinging to him. Uh, we need to have that devotion if that's going to be the case. Um, there was a man who had come back from a tour in Vietnam and he was talking with a group of guys and he was telling them that he spent 
about half of his time in a mortar platoon and half of his time as a chaplain. So kind of an interesting split there. But he was telling them that it was way harder to be a chaplain because he was on the front lines all the time, just breathing in these vapors of death and watching these young men die. And one of the guys asked me, he said, well, how long were you over there? And he said, 366 days. He knew exactly how long he had been there. And I wouldn't be surprised if Naomi knew exactly how long she had been in Moab. And another guy asked him, he said, how was it towards the end? And he said, towards the end, I longed for home more than anyone can imagine. And I have to think as Naomi is there 10 years and she is breathing in those vapors of death, she had to have been longing for home more than anyone could imagine. She was on the front lines but she had gotten bitter. She had gotten angry with God. We certainly need to trust him. Um, we put our hope in him that he is for us. He is not against us. Now, even though she was being a bad witness, she brought someone with her. Ruth came with her. And we need to be those that don't push people away, but bring people back to the house of bread, to the place of praise. Amen? Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.